Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You are listening to Linux in the Hampshire. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 390 of Linux in the Hampshire, the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. Thank you for being here and tuning in to our deep dive episode. This one kind of got changed up at the last minute, and the one we were hoping to do today got pushed back, but we have a guest with us tonight who is kind enough to join us on short notice, and we'll get to whoever that is in a moment. But before we get to all of that, let's go ahead and introduce the cast. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, W-O-N-E-4-R-D. <laughs> Hey, I almost forgot my call sign. I was, <laughs> I should not read while I'm, uh, <laughs> while I'm, uh, trying to respond to stuff here. <laughs> yeah, pr- probably so. But anyway, so with that said, Bill and I work today on, uh, installing a project that, when did, when did you find out about this thing first? Cause it's, it, I heard about it from you. Um, it's been a while. It's been a while. I, you know, a lot of people have said, have you checked this out? Have you checked this out? Every time, every time we talk about Raspberry Pi, I get at least one comment that have you checked out the KM4 ACK builds? And I'm like, I don't think so. So no, <laughs> I've known about it for a long time. I just have not, uh, have not, uh, tiptoed into the, the shallow end with it. Okay. Well, we're going to do that tonight and the project that we haven't actually mentioned the name of yet is build a pie. Uh, you can find the project on GitHub and the author of that project is Jason KM4 ACK and he is with us here tonight. So welcome Jason and thanks for being here. I appreciate you guys having me uh, this evening. Well, it is good to have you because our discussion of this topic probably would have lasted five minutes, but now that you're here, we can stretch it out into a whole episode. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, And the way we're going to do that is to first have you introduce yourself a little bit and tell us about maybe your amateur radio history. Um, You don't have to go too deep into it if you don't want. And then maybe how you came to building Buildify. Okay. Well, uh, I'll try to make it as brief as possible on what got me into amateur radio. Uh, 2009, my hometown experienced a tornado outbreak. Uh, we lost power. We lost communications. Uh, we were basically in the dark ages for a period of time. I was totally unprepared for that. I didn't even own a generator at the time. So I started stepping through to make sure that I could protect me and my family should that happen again. And as I proceeded through that, uh, communications came up. I looked at several different options. My brother-in-law is a ham radio operator, and he started telling me about ham radio. Uh, and about an hour into that conversation, and I wanted to know more about it. Five years later, I finally sat down and took the technician exam. And I think it was, I don't know, four or five months later, I did general. 
And about a year after I took my tech, I sat down and took the uh, extra exam. Uh, so that's kind of the very condensed version of what got me interested into it. And uh, if you watch the YouTube channel, you'll kind of see a focus on emergency communications. All right. We were, we, you know, our primary goal here is to touch on build a pie, but go ahead and tell us about the YouTube channel too, because I know you've done at least one or two videos about build a pie on there, but you have uh, other focus as well. Yeah, so it's a ham radio specific um, channel. I do a lot with the Raspberry Pi and try to break that down. So somebody just getting a Raspberry Pi for the first time, they've never seen Linux before. We try to step them through that. Uh, of course, I do other uh, types of videos at the same time, but build a pie is kind of the core uh, of the channel. Uh, along with the other Linux tutorials, uh, Raspberry Pi specific tutorials that I do on the channel as well. All right. Very good. And I've just turned myself down. So let me turn myself back up. There we go. <laughs> um, cool. So we, like I said, Bill and I did an install of Build a Pi today. Um, I had it on a Raspberry Pi 4, as did he. And, uh, so we walked through it and, so what, what would you uh, say the project is exactly? How would you uh, summarize it? It's, a, it's an easy way for somebody brand new to the Linux operating system to get some of the basic applications they're going to need loaded and running on the Raspberry Pi. The build will also do some basic configurations, uh, what it can um, as the as it's installing everything, uh, so I try to keep the user off of the command line as much as possible because it seems like for guys just getting to the Raspberry Pi, the command line is terrifying. So we try to keep them off of it as much as possible in the very beginning to give them a pleasant experience. In the last uh, two and a half years, I have fallen in love with Linux. Uh, I've played with it, you know, longer than that, but I really never got real serious about it until about two and a half years ago. And I want others to fall in love with it as well. Well, this could definitely be a stepping stone to that end. So basically, all you need to have is a Raspberry Pi. The The thing you need to do first is install at least according to your build instructions, the Raspberry Pi OS, um, which is pretty easy to do. You just have to have some way to write data onto a micro SD card, which is what Raspberry Pi is used to boot from. And um, there's, let's see, I used, what's the thing, RPI, RPI build? No, what's, what's that stupid utility that I used earlier? <laughs> RPI maker, RPI, what is that thing? Oh, the, Bill, uh, the Raspberry Pi Imager. Yeah, that's it. Our Pi Imager. Okay. Yeah, and that's available. That's cross-platform, and that allows you to just get an image and write it to the SD card. You plug it in, and you boot the thing up. And then you can use your script to go from there. So what was your... Um, did you choose, like, every amateur radio program that's out there did you go into science did you what was sort of the focus of the applications you chose in build a pie everything i've chosen so far uh, well when i first started it was what i was using um and most everything again is focused on emergency communications um as the project has grown i've had requests 
If it's a one-off request, I'm probably not going to include it. I'd rather keep the package small and it, you know, it do something very well instead of having a lot of different things in there that maybe most people wouldn't be interested in. But once I get uh, people requesting the same thing over and over again, then I'm going to take a serious look at including it into the uh, as an option into the build. All right. And so just out of curiosity, this is published on GitHub, which is a clearinghouse, I guess, for open source software. So with that being said, we'll assume that it's open source unless you say otherwise. And uh, do you... Are, are you the primary slash sole developer on this? Are you looking for additional assistance? Are you, you know, allowing, you know, pushes or anything like that? Or, or how is that going as far as development? For the first year, maybe 18 months, somewhere around in there, I was the only one doing any work to it. Uh, over the last six months or so, I have had uh, a, a few commits that came in um, and, and most of those have gotten pulled in. Um, not everything, but most of them. All right, that's good. So you are accepting uh, community uploads if uh, someone has something they want to add to it. So that's always nice. And out of curiosity, what is the license that you have put this out under? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Go look at GitHub. I do not know. Uh, it, it's I don't lock it down in any way. If you want to fork it, you want to modify it, do whatever you want to with it. Um, that's totally up to the community. I, I started it, but if somebody else wants to take it and go further with it or go in a different direction with it, I'm all about it. The more choices we have, the better off we are as a community. All right. So that's almost like, um, a CC zero or a public domain kind of license. Uh, yeah, honestly, I don't know. Uh, I want to say it's the MIT license that I put it under, but I would honestly have to go look and see. Well, based on your description of what you are allowing, uh, MIT certainly seems like a good fit. So, yeah, pretty permissive. Hey, you yes. just need to get someone to commit a license file to your repo. <laughs> <laughs> is well, is there not a license file in there? No, there's not. Not in the pie oh. build one. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> We'll, we'll have to take care of that. Cop, copy the MIT license and put, and push it in there. <laughs> I thought I had done that when I set up the repo. Uh, we have one for the uh, Pi APRS one, but not for the Pi build. Okay. All right. So let's uh, get into it. Unless, Bill, you have any more preamble you want to get to with Jason here? Uh, no, I, I don't. Um, it's only because I forgot. <laughs> You forgot. <laughs> I forgot, forgot what? what I who, gonna, who you are? What I was, you call no, I was thinking. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, definitely having that problem tonight. Um, no, I was. I, I was thinking I had something to kind of go along with where we were at in the conversation, but uh, I think we'll just go ahead and uh, keep on trucking. I do have some some individual questions about uh, items in the build that I'd like to ask about, but I think we'll kind of get to there first. All right, so let's have uh, Jason walk through just the beginning steps of how you get this thing up and running. I mean, I've already said you have to create a, a Raspberry Pi boot image, and then once you boot it up, what do you do next? Uh, how do you how do you get this thing rolling? It is literally one command. So you do have to open the command uh, the terminal, and you can copy and paste one command off the GitHub site, and everything else will start and happen automatically. All right, and what what are people going to see once this automagic stuff happens? 
so it'll go through and install uh, a few different items. Uh, it's going to update uh, the repositories. Uh, it's going to install uh, YAD, um, and then it will uh, <clears throat> it'll present the Buildify screen. It's going to tell you it's, uh, that it'll take three to four hours to build. That kind of depends on your internet speed and what all you're choosing to install. Uh, then it's going to ask you for your call sign, and next you'll be presented with the first of four screens of different applications that you can install. So you can choose as few or as many as you would like. And I really appreciate the fact that on, on each of those screens, there's a check all and continue button. <laughs> so you don't even have to select them if you're lazy like me and like just to click through installers like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Next, 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 finish. Uh, <laughs> there's your next and finish button. That was a community request that was not always in there. Um, <clears throat> has, I don't know if you guys saw the video on, um, I think it's titled something like where Build-A-Pie went wrong. Um, no, I did not see that one. No, I think somebody told us about it, but we have not seen it. Okay, so the first version was uh, command line only. Everything happened on the command line, um, and, and it was a run once, and you're done. You couldn't go back and update anything. Uh, you didn't have a lot of choices, um, and then COVID hit. And when COVID hit, my job got shut down. So I found myself with a lot of time on my hands. About a week into that, I decided I was going to go stir crazy if I didn't come up with something to keep me occupied. The community had been asking for a way to update Buildapi after the install. Uh, I had kind of cobbled together an update script. It worked okay. It wasn't the most elegant thing in the world. Um, so I sat down and basically rewrote Buildapi from the ground up. Um, giving it the, the GUI interface that you see today, uh, giving it a lot more options, adding more um, applications that could be installed, and a way to maintain it after the fact. All right, we're going to get to that maintenance and updates after the fact in a little bit. But uh, one thing I noticed as it was going through the procedure, uh, there was one spot, at least in my install, I don't know how it was for Bill's, um, it was for Zaster, and it was asking, it It brought in the prompts about user access to AX.25 libraries. So, you know, after an hour and a half of installation, there was a prompt in the middle of it, which I don't remember if it was mentioned anywhere in the procedure that you might have to interact with the install at any point. Okay, so no, it's not mentioned, uh, and I've been arguing with myself uh, for probably the last two months on how I want to resolve that. To my knowledge, there's no way to install Exaster without those prompts. Now, maybe there is, and I'm just unaware of it. What I've considered uh, is, and probably what's going to happen is I'm going to take it out of the initial build section because this is something that trips users up. And I'm going to move it to the update section so you could still install it, but you wouldn't be able to install it on the first run through. It's the only application that stops and asks the user for input. Yeah, it's probably because you're installing from the deb on that particular one, and that is part of the deb script yes. for a post-installation. Post so the only way to resolve that would be to actually force compile it. 
there's I believe there's an option in D package to skip scripts, which is probably a bad thing. So <laughs> <laughs> not advised. It's only for yeah. professionals, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't want to break every system out there. <laughs> yeah, that that's probably gonna be my answer to that. Um it, I don't know how many of my users are actually installing Exaster, um, but I think the best way to handle that might just be to to move it to the update section, and you could install it after the fact. That well, that seems. Yeah, I was just going to say that would at least stop it from uh, because other than that, and I, if if I'm interacting with anybody, if I'm over on the forums, you know, I'll tell somebody. A lot of times, I run this overnight. You just have to make sure you don't install Exaster so that the build doesn't hang up, um, you know, at that point. If you skip it, the build will actually run to completion, and you can start it and go to bed and get up in the morning. you got a built system. All right. Well, that seems reasonable. Or maybe there is some other way to force uh, answers to those prompts. I'm not actually sure about that. It doesn't really matter. But another thing I was curious about during the build process is some of the build process is a build process and some is a binary package install. So what was the sort of deciding factor on what was going to get uh, source built and what wasn't? Uh, mainly what the users wanted. What's Okay, so let's, uh, let's take FL Rig and FL Digi, for example. If you get something out of the repository, it's going to be sometimes a year or more old. Uh, and it won't include um, support for newer radios like the ICOM 705. So in that particular case, that's a widely used enough application that I want to grab the latest and greatest. Again, Exaster, I'm pulling it out of the repositories, um, and it works. I haven't had, I haven't had pushback on that. Um, so maybe at some point in the future, I may go back and build that from source. Uh, sometimes it's just quicker and easier to grab it out of the repository and, and call it a day. All right. Cause I noticed that my build and I think Bill's did as well spent a lot of time on the stuff that was Fastlight toolkit. So, uh, that was probably more than 50% of the install time. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately those take a lot because there's those are very old projects and there's a lot of code <laughs> in there but i know the author is updating that stuff all the time and uh, that stuff does not get out to the build uh, the repos uh, just like jason said it uh it's very delayed i think a lot of people have kind of gone on to just uh building from source or you know being a member of the um the the user group over there for uh ws to, not wsjtx the other one <laughs> <laughs> FL Digi. FL Digi. Yeah, yeah, and he posts out updates uh, quite frequently. Um, so, yeah, I could see people wanting to get that, especially if you're into emergency services and stuff like that, because he definitely updates, you know, FL Message and, and everything else that uh, is kind of used in those environments. Well, and one of the other things, Buildapi, uh, if you do rig control, we basically guide you into using FL Rig. I found that for new users, it was much easier than trying to figure out rig control from the command line. So if you can configure it, if you can configure your radio uh, in FL rig, then everything else in build a pipe kind of falls into place for you. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense completely. 
Well, I'm, as someone who doesn't use FL rig, I don't can't speak to that, but I know Bill does. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just usually use the application layer uh, configuration for whatever rig control I need to do. Um, I keep uh, I keep rig control D running in the background at boot time, so I don't I don't mess with FL rig, but um, I, I might consider myself a slightly more advanced than average user. Well, and and for the advanced users, that you know, that's fine. Buildify is not going to prevent you from doing that. Uh, there'd be a few things you would have to modify, uh, especially in Pat Menu, to get everything lined up correctly for uh, Pat Winlink. Uh, the rest of the applications it shouldn't be a big deal at all. All right, that's cool. So most of what the script does, of course, is just install applications, whether it be from source or package, depending on whether you want what's in the repo or the latest and greatest. Um, I noticed it also changes your desktop background to one you've uh, created an ASCII art image of the world. Um, is there is there anything else it does that's sort of behind the scenes? Uh, it does some configuration for you. So uh, let's take Pat Winlink, uh, for example. Uh, Pat Winlink has a config.json file that... Buildapi will go in, it's going to plug in your call sign, it's going to plug in your WinLink password that it asks you for uh, if you choose to install that software, uh, and it's going to do some basic rig control uh, modifications to that file. So it, it does some of those things in the background, but as far as really modifying anything other than the wallpaper at a system level, it doesn't do. All right, very good. And I have one other question, at least for right now, before I send it over to Bill while I think of other things. Um, but you recommend using the 32-bit version of the Ras- Raspberry Pi OS, formerly Raspbian. Have you tried it with anyone else? Has anyone else tried it with anything else? Does it work with anything else? Or uh, and what about 64-bit? I think some people have tried it with 64-bit. Uh, I think one of the Issues that I've read about is VNC working um, with a 64-bit. So it might be something that would work okay if you didn't install VLC through the Buildify script, maybe? Well, uh, <clears throat> yes. So I, I, I'm not exactly sure because I haven't delved deep into it. Uh, but from what I've been told, you can't get VNC server and client working on the 64-bit version. I rely, I run every Pi headless and rely heavily on VNC, uh, both in the shack and in the field. So if VNC is not there, it, it's not a usable tool for me. All right, that's fairly reasonable. And what about the hotspot setup? What What is that based on and what is the use case? I'm assuming that you have a use case for it operating headless and such. Yes, so I didn't write the hot script, uh, hotspot script itself. Uh, and I'm, I cannot remember the website that that's pulled off of. The notations are in the, in the code itself. Um, I did write a helper file to go with that called hotspot tools that allows you to do some modifications of the hotspot script. The way the hotspot script works is once it's set up and configured, if it sees your shack's Wi-Fi, it will automatically connect to it. As soon as your Raspberry Pi leaves the area and can no longer see your shack Wi-Fi, it will generate its own hotspot that you can then connect to using another wireless device. 
So let's, um, I've got a Raspberry Pi in my Jeep. When I pull into the garage, it automatically connects up to my Shack's Wi-Fi. When I leave out, uh, it takes it two minutes, I think is what I've got that one set for. And within two minutes, it's going to generate its own Wi-Fi hotspot. I can grab the tablet that's uh, sitting in my Jeep, turn it on, connect to the Raspberry Pi, and then use VNC to get in and see the desktop. At that point, I'm controlling everything, uh, mouse, keyboard, monitor, from an old first-gen iPad mini. All right, that's nice to have, uh, you know, the sort of untethered access to the Pi, so you can still access all the functionality if you're going to be doing remote operation or, or whatever. So that's a nice feature. All right, Bill, you're up. Okay, so <clears throat> I did, while you were doing that, I was uh, researching that. That's from raspberryconnect.com. Okay. And uh, that's where the auto hotspot comes from. Hotspot, just putting that in the notes there. Um, yeah, so I also wanted to find out, uh, I see the uh, Pi APRS app is listed by you. So can you tell us a little bit about that application and what that actually does? That was, I haven't even worked on that project uh, very much. That was kind of a little experiment that I did. Uh, I, I needed a break from something else I was working on. And that is designed to help someone uh, when they're when they're working with satellites and APRS. Oh, okay, so like working with the ISS and stuff like that that has a digipeter and stuff like that on it? Correct, correct. So that can be used... Uh, in that particular instance, like I said, I, I honestly haven't even played with that, uh, probably in seven or eight months. And I know I haven't looked at the code since then. <laughs> yeah. I was just going through all the applications and saw that one was specifically by you. So that's why I wanted to know. And I, I did kind of poke into the, to the repo to look at that. I've got a few that I have written, um, specific to the Raspberry Pi. So there's Pi APRS. There is Pat Menu. And Pat Menu is another one of those helper files to go along with Pat Winlink. Um, and it'll do a lot of different functions uh, from basic login and logout to helping you configure things for rig control, uh, all the while keeping a new operator off of the command line. Um, <clears throat> hotspot. And of course, Pat is mainly all command line. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, hotspot tools is the same way. Uh, another helper application that I wrote just so you didn't have to know where the WPA supplicant file was located. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you, if you're, if you're an advanced user, you don't even have to open it up. But if you don't want to know where WPA supplicants located, open up hotspot tools and it'll take care of it for you. Along those lines, what about the Conky config? Do you have some way to modify that? Is there a, a config script you have for it if you wanted to change the way that looked? No. There is some discussion uh, that that was going on in a thread over on the Build-A-Pi forum, um, but I just give a generic one. Um, I, there is a way to change the size, so small, medium, and large, depending on your screen resolution. But outside of that, uh, you get what you get pretty much right there. Is that ability to change the screen size or, you know, change to the screen size, is that in, uh, is that a CLI thing or do you have a menu option for that? No, there's a menu option for that. If you go down to, uh, from your main menu, you come down to preferences and then you should see something called conky, uh, hyphen prefs. All right. Very good. Uh, Bill, anything else? <laughs> uh, 
What is Conky? <laughs> Con- Conky? Yeah, I guess we should mention that. Conky is a little uh, scriptlet or application or whatever you want to call it that writes system data and other information onto your X root window. So it's actually information like your CPU utilization, memory utilization, application utilization, and so on that's actually written right onto your desktop. So... Ah, okay. In lieu of like like a GNOME extension or something like that, that is all kind of because <laughs> this is a LXDE, right? This is LXDE, yeah. Because that's the I assume it's only LXDE because that's the default installation for Raspberry Pi OS. So yes, yep, yeah. Conky's just one of those pretty things that everybody seems to love. Um, you can run the pie fine without it, but everybody seems to like that information. It's the eye candy is what I call it. Oh, uh, that's the stuff that's uh, with the call sign and everything else. I just changed mine from Fahrenheit and now it came up tiny instead of uh, big. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bill, I'm out of questions for right now. So, Oh, you're killing me. Okay. So yeah, I was just going through, I, I really appreciate how well this is. Uh, you know, if you go into the repo and you're looking at, uh, you're looking under the hood here and, uh, if you know some people, obviously you're getting into Linux and stuff like that. You should be worried about running stuff on your system that you really have absolutely no idea what it does. Um, I do appreciate the fact that uh, you have a lot of comments in here, especially you go into the functions where a lot of the the, the business happens, and uh, people can kind of follow along and see exactly uh, what is being performed at each step, which I think is important, and uh, where there's you know, important notes of what exactly is occurring here and stuff like that. You have notes like it's setting the call sign, it's setting the password, it's setting your locator. Um, you say exactly which application is being worked on at the time. So that that's really useful for a user that maybe has enough guts to come into a <laughs> GitHub repo <laughs> and kind of poke their nose around and kind of seeing how the sausage is made. It's it's also helpful to the developer to remember what in the heck he was thinking when he wrote that section. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and it also helps when people want to help uh, you know make an adjustment or make a commit back, and they do a pull request for you. You know they have an idea where this particular application should go. If you want to add a new application into the into the list, or let's say you're, uh, um, I think uh, I was noticing uh, in the build we were still building uh, WS. Uh, no, no, Hamlib uh, 3.3, and I know we're beyond 4. Point something now. I think uh, the latest WSJTX comes built with uh, Hamlib 4.1 for the RC builds. So, like, you know. So, if you want to read my notes on that, that's actually a pinned issue on the issue page. Uh, and there's a couple of things that I've got to research. Um, but because that's kind of a core component. I don't want to jump into something not knowing exactly what we're going to get into and what uh, problems we may run into. Uh, and I was kind of waiting on the guys uh, that's writing Hamlib to get uh, out of their release candidate stage and get to a stable version. Uh, but you've got, first you've got, uh, I know that the radios, uh, the numbering of the radios has changed. Uh, I have read that there's a possibility it may not work well with Direwolf. Ah, okay. Uh, so that could be another potential problem. I've got two or three notes um, in, in that issue and reference links to where I'm getting some of that information from. So I need to do some more research on it. Um, 
but but currently that's why I've held up. If you do uh, run the update script, you're going to see that it says Hamlib needs an update. Uh, even if you check the box and run it, it's hard coded at uh, what is it 3.3. Uh, so it will never grab the latest one. Um, and that's currently by design. Okay. That makes sense. Um, speaking of WSJTX, I noticed you're still building the, uh, the general release. I'm assuming you're not making changes to push out the RC builds as they come out. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> that would be a bit laborsome. <laughs> Although I did notice, and I mentioned it to Russ earlier today that the RC4 does not have an expiration date on it. So I would say that one's good to go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't have to worry about the, having it turn off at any uh, point in time in the near future, unless they just didn't put a warning window up for people to acknowledge that. Um, the other one I had, I noted here was uh, uh, the call sign lookup program. What I didn't even look into that, but uh, I see it's just sort of like a TK window and uh, query something, but it doesn't give you an indication of where it's getting that information from. So that's another one of those little side projects that uh, I, I did as more of a learning experience than anything else, uh, and another one that's more or less been abandoned. Um, <laughs> well, I could find my call in there; it can't be too abandoned. <laughs> yeah, well, and I can't. I would have to go back and look at my notes on that again. That's that I have done so much coding uh, this year that I have really lost track of a lot of things. Um, I, I rewrote build a pie from the ground up. I rewrote hotspot tools from the ground up. Um, Pat menu was written from the rewritten from the ground up. So several several things have happened this year, and a few of the other projects I, I just had too much on my plate, and I had to let a few things go. Yeah, I see you had a uh, seven hundred and thirty one contra commits last year in this project. So. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely have been pretty busy. Yeah, and you are using the issue system, so that's where you expect people, if they have an issue, to come back and use that, or do you have a, a user forum where people are communicating? That's my preference is you would report it on uh, the issue system at Hub. If you put it on the forums, I'm usually going to do a copy-paste and link back to the forum of where the information originally came from. Uh, I try to check the forums pretty much every morning, uh, and answer anything that I can. If it's something, let's say you've got a, a shiny new ICOM 705 and you got a specific question to it, I don't own one of those. Um, so it's kind of hard to answer. I've, I've made the offer to every 705 owner, um, and I, I don't know why I'm being as kind as I can. I, I tell them if they'll just send me their radio for three or four months, I'll figure it out and ship, <laughs> ship it right back to them. And, well, you sound a lot like I easy. I don't know. <laughs> no, nobody's taking me up on this. I don't understand why they don't like the generosity. I can't imagine why they wouldn't do that. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, so you have some open tickets here, and uh, I like uh, using the tagging system. So you're tagging whether it's an enhancement, a question, or if it's being worked on. So good to use uh, all the tools that uh, GitHub provides. Um, it's always nice to see that, uh, in action. Um, let's see what else. I'm going to look at the notes real quick. Well, well here's the other thing, guys. Mm -hmm. When I started the YouTube channel two and a half years ago, I had never maintained a GitHub and I had never written a bash script. 
So I had to learn all of it on the fly. Uh, and GitHub still confuses me at times. Um, so if you've got any pointers for GitHub, <laughs> I'll, I'll take all I can get because it's still a learning process. I don't think it, the learning process will ever stop. I use it every day and I continue to hate it every day. I don't know. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. I, I, once in a while I find a tool that works and I don't have to think about the command line. And then once in a while I run into a problem is like all of a sudden I have to use the command line for GitHub again or, or GitLab. And I'm like, Oh, God darn it. What the heck was that command to get that? Get, get something, something. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It depends on your, 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 uh, your, uh, the way you're interacting with GitHub. I'm mostly in an IDE when I, when I'm messing with it. So <laughs> it has all the auto magic tools built in. Well, I'm learning as I go. I try to use, uh, everything that I can, um, mostly to help you know, to help me remember what's going on with things. Which issues have I started working on? Which ones have I not? Um, and things like uh, Hamlib, you know, why why there may be no progress happening on them. Yeah, yeah. So do you have uh, some sort of um, um, versioning? I know you're not using uh, tags so much for tagging versions and stuff like that. Or do you have the concept of doing versions or maybe how are you handling milestones and like, like how do you pick like what direction you're going and stuff like that? I don't have milestones. I randomly make up version numbers, but they're incremental. Um, and I try to keep the best notes that I can. So if you look at the change logs, you'll see that. Uh, if you go over to the dev branch, you're going to see what's currently being worked on. Um, again, I, a lot of this is still new to me. I'm literally learning as I go. No, it's awesome. I mean, you're doing a, a great job. <laughs> Most people would only have one branch. <laughs> you have three. It's like you're three times better than uh, anyone else. <laughs> no, that's because in the beginning, I only had one and it became a nightmare. I couldn't yes. push something out and test it because now it's going to everybody. Exactly. Well, that did that didn't work very long. Yeah, yeah. So you can also uh that's the key with using tags and stuff like that too, is that you can tag a version and then like stuff can still kind of be creeping into master and it doesn't affect uh people pulling off the tagged branch. So they can actually have like a tagged version release of a master branch and not be pulling directly from stuff that's slightly migrating in stages from dev. So there's a, uh, there's uh, definitely something interesting you can try out uh, with getting that code up there. Yeah, I may have to look into that right now. It starts in the dev branch. I'll push it to the beta branch when I'm done with it. And when I'm happy with it, I post the beta on the forums and to the Patreon page, wait for uh, anything to fall apart. And if the wheels stay on it, I'll, We'll give it a couple of two weeks, three weeks for everybody to kind of take a look at it. If the wheels stay on it, we go ahead and push it over to the master branch. Well, awesome. So, uh, what can you tell us? What's, uh, what, what's in that, uh, dev branch and beta branch? What, what's coming up new that's going to be changing from the, the master that maybe Russ and I just installed today? Uh, it's really going to be minor fixes for the most part. Um, I'm having an issue with Conky. Uh, at least some of the people are having an issue with Conky in getting the GPS to display correctly, uh, or sometimes they can't get it to display at all. Sometimes the GPS is causing Conky to crash. So that's one of the things uh, that I want to finish up. Other, um, if you look at the issue list, you'll you'll see the ones marked. I believe it's in purple that says in process. 
those are the ones that are currently in the dev branch. Ah, uh, okay. That makes sense. There is, there is some reasoning to the madness. <laughs> it may not match anybody else's, but there is some reasoning. So before we get too much further on, we have mentioned the, the updater several times, but we have not talked about it. How is it invoked and what does it do and how often should you do it? Okay, so from the main pie menu, you come down to preferences and you will find a build a pie entry. When you click on that, it's going to scan the system. Um, it's going to, for some of the applications, the ones that are built from source primarily, it's going to look and see if there's any updates available. So it compare, it looks at the website every chance it can, um, and, and it looks to see if there's a newer version than what you've got installed. Some applications, uh, JS8 Call, WSJTX, both specifically, you can't get a version number for either of those two applications from the command line. Um, so in that case, I can't look to see if there's a newer version. But every chance we can, we look for a newer version and tell you that there's an update available. You have the choice as to whether you want to update it or not by putting a check mark beside it. So maybe you're happy with an old version, you don't want to update it, put a check mark beside one. In addition to that, it's going to do a uh, sudo apt-get update and sudo apt-get uh, upgrade or apt update and upgrade. Uh, and then it'll go out and start updating the applications that you've asked it to update. Uh, now, if it was re installed from the repository, obviously the update and upgrade is going to go ahead and get those if there's new versions in the repository. All right, very good. And so when it breaks, who do they call? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't see the 1-800 number in the software? <laughs> it's right in the license file, I'm sure. You're going to have to watch it. See, you, you, you didn't watch the fun facts. Oh, uh, was that that little bit of white on white text I saw? I don't... <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to highlight the whole page. That way you can see all that. So <laughs> you know that, right? <laughs> no, we, we've got the forums. Uh, I think there's about 700 users now in the forums. Uh, a lot of good guys over there that will help out, uh, especially like I was talking about earlier. If I don't own a particular radio, you know, I don't know anything about why FL Rig's not communicating with it. Uh, because it may be something specific. Maybe you got the baud rate set wrong in the radio. Those are things I can't pick up. So I advise people to go um, to the forums and post there. I do check in there almost every single morning, answer as much as I can, or maybe can point you in a, a better direction. Uh, so maybe you've got something that is specific to Direwolf, um, you might be better to ask in the Direwolf forum than in the build a pie forum. So that's probably the absolute best place that uh, a user could ask for help. And then if they think they found a bug, head over to GitHub and create a new issue ticket. All right. Fantastic. It's nice that there's a, a forum as a, a good channel for support where necessary. And yes, I think we should caution people to keep support requests to things that are specific to the build script um, because the software that you're installing, you're obviously not doing support for all of that because uh, that you would never sleep. Uh, <laughs> so um, very good. Bill, you got anything else? Cheryl, you got anything? Are you, are you awake over there? 
I'm awake, but no, I don't have anything. <laughs> Figured I'd wait Are you sure you're awake? Yeah, yeah. kind of awake. Yeah. You're kind of awake. Okay. Kind of awake. She's like, I didn't sign up for this one. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, okay, so I just want to mention that the forums are a group IO group, and that's uh, linked in the show notes for this show. So you can find the link to that there. Your uh, your website is uh, what, km4ack.square.site? Is that your homepage? Uh, yes, km4ack.com should get you there as well. It's a redirector. Oh, uh, okay, cool. So that'll make it even easier. And, of course, for the code and the projects, you'll want to go to GitHub and search for km4ack, and you'll find all of that there as well because the, the website doesn't link to GitHub, I don't think, or does it? Um, no, it does not. No, I don't think. It doesn't. I don't see that. And your redirect uh, is not uh, is not redirecting to SSL, so it breaks a little bit. So you might want to fix that. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> Put it in the issue tracker. What do you? Think? Oh no, that's uh, yep. for his website. His personal <laughs> website. <laughs> that's your three hundred two. So <laughs> right, redirect needs to be fixed. Um, but yeah, so yeah, and you got a lot of, uh, let's see, uh, I'm just trying to figure out here. Uh, yeah, lots of messages in the, uh, in the groups IO group. So definitely getting to that. It's like a lot of people are participating in that. So that's really good. Um, your YouTube channel is also KM4ACK, right? Yes. I think that's what you have it tagged as. So you can figure out the U- URL there, youtube.com slash KM4ACK or whatever they, do those. <laughs> I think it's slash user slash cam. Something, like that, yeah, something yeah. like that. If you just search for him, he'll find him. So yeah, a Google search for cam for ACK finds pretty much everything. <laughs> and did you want to ask him the, the last question that we always ask? Uh, yes, I guess we can ask him the default last question. <laughs> uh, I asked in the chat room if anyone had any questions and they don't, which means one of two things, either a everyone's asleep or B we've covered the topic to, uh, such an amazing, uh, you know, extent that there are. Let's no go with the latter. So um, <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Uh, but the last question we always ask of the people we interview is: Is there anything you'd like to say or would like to mention because we forgot to ask you about it? Um, not that I can think of right off. I think you're the first person who's ever said no. <laughs> <laughs> Some, someone always wants to say something about something, even if it's off topic. Well, but. I think we've pretty much covered Build-A-Pie. I mean, the the main reason for Build-A-Pie is to help that guy that's never had a Raspberry Pi. Advanced users, it's probably going to be helpful just to save you some time and you don't have to sit there doing keying in every single command. Um, but that's really the gist of it. Uh, that that's why it was That's why it was put together. And uh, I did have one more question because I'm going to forget about it if I don't ask. Um, the JS8 call, you uh, you mentioned a lot about it, like it's your favorite mode. Is that still true? Yes. I've been playing with JS8 call uh, since the beta days. Uh, so I got in on beta testing Jordan, uh, KN4CRD, I believe is his call. Um, he would release a new beta version every two weeks. And things were constantly moving around, new features were added, occasionally a feature was taken away, and I, I don't know, I just fell in love with that. It's got the weak signal capability of FT8, but we can actually have a conversation. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've played around with JS8 Call a little bit, but I have never really found a lot of uh, apparent interest in it, because 
where you can usually find a hundred signals at any given time on FT8, you might find uh, one or two on JS8 call. So stick with 40 meters if you're going to do JS8 call. That's where the majority of the action is. Um, yeah, I, I don't think everybody completely gets the full capability of JS8 call. Um, I, my station runs almost 24/7 with JS8 call. So there's many mornings that I wake up. I flip on the, you know, a VNC into that particular Raspberry Pi, and I've got a message sitting there waiting for me from one of my viewers. Oh, that's cool. I didn't even have to be at the station for that message to show up, and I've got this little flag that shows me the messages there and waiting. Yeah, I apparently was not aware of that capability, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so here's another cool feature. Maybe I need to reach California, and I can't, from Tennessee... And I can't hear Cal- the California station direct, but I can hear somebody in Colorado that can also hear the California station. As long as the Colorado station has his, has configured everything correctly, I can use his station as a relay point to reach the California station, and the Colorado station doesn't even have to be sitting at the keyboard when I do it. Mm, interesting. It'll happen automatically. Hey, you want to get your buddy to come on and talk about JS8 call? <laughs> <laughs> Convince us, right? <laughs> Jordan would probably be thrilled to come in. I've seen him do a lot of uh, a lot of different presentations. It, it's a it, it's really an incredibly powerful piece of software. Going back to the example I gave a second ago, um, I can relay through the station in Calif- uh, Colorado to California, and even if the guy in California is not at his station, I can leave a message for him. Cool little things like that that it can do that that makes it uh, a bit unique. I'm definitely already more interested in JSA call than I was, you know, five minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) All right, one more example, and then uh, I won't bore you with uh, that since I'm way off topic here. Let's uh, go back to the example I was using a second ago. Let's say the California station is not even online right now. I can leave a message for him on the Colorado station. When he comes back on, he sends out a heartbeat. And as long as him and Colorado can hear one another, the Colorado station is going to reply to his heartbeat and let him know that he has a message waiting for him. Well, maybe you can come on with him as well, <laughs> so you can, <laughs> so we can have a, a massive love fest over JSA call. But we should probably uh, stick, go back a little bit towards topic. But we should probably mention that JSA call is included in Buildify. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and there's a, a set of tools from uh, what is that M zero I A X called M zero I X's JSA tools that apparently do some stuff. Do you know, uh, can you give us any info on that? Yeah, so that's uh, Mark, uh, M0IAX. Mark is based in England, I believe. I'm not exactly sure which part, but uh, he wrote those utilities. Uh, you can also send email with JSA call. You can send um, uh, SMS text messages with JSA call. Um, there's one other feature now. It just escapes me right now. Oh, the GPS. You can post your position, uh, to the APRS system using JS8 call. Um, it's a bit, um, it's a bit of a crazy syntax that you've got to put in to get all of it to work correctly. 
a lot of guys were having trouble remembering the syntax or getting the exact syntax down and correct. So Mark was kind enough to write a set of tools that just made it happen uh, automatically for you. So it's kind of a helper application. Yeah, I see that. That's that's pretty slick. That's uh, yeah, the things you learn on these, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So that's almost like uh, it's almost like uh, the JSA call software is basically building a, their own WinLink network. It sounds like <laughs> uh, almost essentially, uh, you know, being the same kind of store and forward and and uh, having almost like a. Uh, I gates or whatever, like you'd have in the uh, packet world, getting stuff between mediums. Um, that uh, sounds pretty interesting. I agree. Well, I'm glad I've piqued your curiosity then. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's always nice another to topic. Things. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So we should probably go ahead and wrap this up. And uh, I want to thank Jason KM4ACK uh, for a fantastic discussion about his project build a pie so once again thank you for being here and uh we may be talking to you again about js8 call <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad you guys had me on i've uh, definitely enjoyed the conversation with you this evening well thank you we have uh enjoyed it as well and uh again i see no comments in the chat room so uh we'll go with the uh latter option of we have thoroughly covered the topic and there are no questions to be asked uh, but we should go ahead and mention the folks who are in the chat room listening to us live tonight because we always do that. Uh, we had Tony, K4XSS, Ted, WA0EIR, Tom, N4HAI, Mike, K6GTE, Steve, K7HVT, Dave, V5UO, and Darren, VK6EK. So thanks to everybody for listening live. We do not have any feedback this time around, but we will definitely include that the next time we get to one of we these. We do have an announcement, though. All right. right. We do have, we have uh, our uh, next deep dive, which will be in two weeks from now, is going to be on Dude Star, and we're going to have uh, the author uh, come join us. So uh, hopefully, we're going to cross our fingers it actually happens. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll talk about Dude Star because we've been playing with it, and uh, we've mentioned it in the, I guess, the past couple shows we've kind of mentioned it anyway so um yeah it's gonna be uh it's gonna be fun uh, kind of digging into that and seeing uh seeing how uh the imbe project and everything else is coming along so uh great yep we'll definitely look into that and hope that interview comes off the way it's supposed to and for those of you who are have access to discord you know make sure to join our discord uh, because when we work on these projects we often have live streams or uh, live discussions of what we're doing uh, including things like build a pie and uh, maybe JS8 call here in the near future, and uh, certainly lots of other things that we have been working on. So you can come join us and participate in those. And with that, I guess we will go ahead and wrap this up. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and thanks, everybody, who supports the show. And we'll give you another deep dive in a couple of weeks, and then, of course, we'll have our next weekend or our next short topic short topics episode before that. So... Tune into those. We'll catch you next time. This has been episode number 390 of Linux in the Hamshack. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. The live show is recorded every Monday night at 8pm Central Time, plus or minus QRL. Connect to the live stream at url.bcts.info stroke LHS live. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke lhspodcast or by using the contribute link on the homepage. Get in touch via social media. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. Our IRC channel is hash LHS podcast on the Freenode network and the Discord invite link is url.bcts.info stroke discord. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a local Linux convention or ham fest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info for more information or visit the homepage for details. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism. Shack and the Linux in the Hamshack logo are released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.